Turn to Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles. Acts, did I say Acts 1? 21, sorry. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Acts 1, we're starting over. I personally wouldn't be mad at that, only because I've really enjoyed our study in Acts, and I'd be, I'm sad that it's going to be coming to an end here in the not-too-distant future. Hey, we're going to be taking some bigger chunks here pretty soon. There's some narratives here that we're going to be probably hitting even close to a whole chapter in a, in a study. But Acts 21, this morning we're continuing our study through the book of Acts, and today we're finishing a three-part study I've titled Learning from Paul's Journey to Jerusalem, which we're covering in Acts 21, verses 1 through 14. In part one, two weeks ago, we took an expositional look at those verses, verse by verse, focused on uh, really more the, the places and the people as uh, Paul journeyed toward Jerusalem. Then last week in part two, we focused on just gaining a right or, or foundational understanding of the Lord's will so we can have a right perspective of Paul's situation here and moving forward in the book of Acts, but also a right perspective for our own lives and situations. I, I pray that study was a blessing and an encouragement. But now in part three, we're going to revisit a few things in this passage regarding the warnings and the concern of the believers uh, that Paul met and the will of the Lord being done in Paul's life as he journeyed towards Jerusalem. And so let's read verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to dive into some of the individual uh, verses here where we find some of these warnings and concerns. So Acts 21, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. Is my mic cutting in and out? That's weird. Um, my battery is fully charged. Okay, anyways, Lord, please keep it working. Um, verse 4, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children Till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had... Four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So 
When he would not be persuaded, we see, saying, the will of the Lord be done. We've already taken a verse-by-verse expositional look at these verses, but I want us to revisit some of the things in these verses we didn't look at two weeks ago. Again, regarding the warnings and concern of the believers that Paul met and this, this area of the will of the Lord being done in Paul's life as he journeyed to Jerusalem. And so, uh, again, in verse 3, uh, as they're sailing towards Phoenicia, it says, When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. You know, at some point in that week's stay in the city of Tyre, we find in verse 4 that some among the disciples of Tyre told Paul through the Spirit to not go up to Jerusalem. Now, it's, it's interesting that Luke records this, but he doesn't tell us that there was any reaction from Paul or his companions to this warning, forbidding message that Paul was not to go up to Jerusalem. But, but this is one of two situations in this final portion of Paul's travels to Jerusalem where we see a, a warning being given or a concern being expressed regarding Paul actually going to Jerusalem, and and more so in this situation in verse 4, it it can be hard to make sense of what's going on here. Why would the Holy Spirit have these disciples give Paul this message? Did these disciples misinterpret what the Spirit was saying because of their own concerns for Paul? Paul. And was Paul rebelling against the Spirit? We could say against the will of God by not heeding this message. There's just a few questions that we might have as we consider this. You know, the way Paul just continues on after this with traveling to Jerusalem, it implies that Paul didn't receive what these disciples perceived to be a warning from the Spirit to not go to Jerusalem as being what the Spirit intended for them to share with Paul. Otherwise, if it genuinely was what the Holy Spirit was telling him, he would have been found rebelling against the Spirit. We could easily say, if that was the case, that Paul was blatantly in sin. He was blatantly disobedient to the will of the Lord. You know, I want us to remember that the Spirit of God had been leading Paul before this, had spoken to Paul, had used others to help provide direction for Paul, had given visions to Paul. We also have to remember that the Lord had already been speaking to Paul regarding what he was going to face in Jerusalem, preparing Paul for this, leading Paul to this. And all along the way, we've, we've seen Paul respond to all these things in faith, filled obedience the easier thing would have been for paul to not go to jerusalem knowing that chains and tribulations awaited him that would have been the easier thing to do is to go you know what why don't you guys go 
Why don't you guys take this financial offering to the believers in Jerusalem? Why don't you guys sort of handle it and I will just go somewhere else? You know, the island of Cyprus seems pretty nice. The water's pretty clear. I could find a little chair. I could put my feet up on the beach. Why? The easy thing would be to go, I'm not going then. I don't want to do that. And yet, Paul was walking in obedience to what he knew to be the leading of the Spirit. Now, could Paul have made a mistake? Of course. Paul wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. Even that dispute with Barnabas over John Mark shows the humanness of Paul, just like it did of Barnabas. But there are other things here that make it clear to us that God's will was for Paul to face opposition and persecution and suffering in Jerusalem. You know, even from right after Paul's Damascus Road conversion, when he was still blinded, when he was waiting for instruction from the Lord, in what God spoke to a disciple named Ananias, who God you know, spoke to and said, hey, I want you to go and lay your hands on this man named Saul. We find that this was part of God's will for Paul's life in the future. Check out that conversation between Ananias and the Lord. And this is actually Ananias now is responding with some hesitancy after God said, go, go and put your hands on, on, on Saul. This is now Ananias's response. Acts 9 verses 13 through 16. It says, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in, Jer in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is going, Lord, are you sure about this? Like, are you sure you, do you really know what you're doing, Lord? You know who you're dealing with? Do you remember who Saul is? You want me to go to him and put my hands on him? I want to put my hands on him. No, not really. But, you know, but look at the Lord's response in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. Notice that kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. See, see, Paul being arrested in Jerusalem and what followed after that was part of how God would bring Paul before kings. But something else that makes it clear to us that God's will was for Paul to face opposition and, and persecution and suffering in Jerusalem is in what Paul shared with the Ephesian elders just a little bit before this in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. Paul there says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said that he was going bound, constrained in the spirit to Jerusalem. He had this strong inner sense from the Lord that this was what God wanted him to do. 
But, but notice, he doesn't say that the Holy Spirit was telling him not to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't a preventative word trying to keep him from going, but that the Holy Spirit was telling him what to expect as he went to Jerusalem. So the Holy Spirit was seeking to prepare him for what he would face. Clearly, as Paul traveled to Jerusalem, knowing that chains and tribulations awaited him, he believed wholeheartedly that this was God's will. Paul wasn't just like a glutton for punishment, like, I just want to suffer. Just put me in a situation where I'm going to have to suffer. Put me somewhere where people are going to hate me. I want to be hated. You know, he wasn't this guy that was just like, who wants to hunt? You know, who wants to hit me? You know, he's like look, looking for a fight or something. You know, it's like, no, Paul just, he was so focused on the, the mission of the gospel, the mission of the kingdom, that he's like, look, if other things come with that, then, then that's okay. I'll gladly take that. I'll, my life can be poured out as sort of a drink offering. If that's what it takes so that people come to know Jesus, I'm willing to do that. But he believed that this was God's will. See, I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit spoke to these disciples entire. But I do doubt that Paul was rebelling against the Spirit or that he was somehow outside of the will of God here and not taking heed to this message. According to pastor and Bible commentator Warren Wearsby, the statement in verse 4 does not use the Greek negative O-U, which means absolute prohibition, but, but the letters M-E, which are used where one thinks a thing is not. Where one thinks a thing is not. And this is important. See, in light of what we've already considered and still will consider in the second situation with the prophet Agabus, it seems these disciples misinterpreted or applied their own application or commentary to what the Holy Spirit was saying regarding Paul. Know this, the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself, ever. He wouldn't give a preparing word multiple times to the Apostle Paul and then give a preventative word to these disciples for Paul that went against what he had already been speaking to Paul. I believe these disciples heard the Spirit say that danger was in store for Paul, but maybe mistook that to mean that Paul was not to go to Jerusalem at all. And this probably just came from a place of care, them not wanting to see Paul's life put in danger. But I believe there's a warning here for us in the example of these disciples in verse 4. To not mix in the things of self with the things of the Spirit and how we counsel others or in how we discern what the Spirit is saying to us or in what we share with others. You know, while we're not to quench the Spirit or despise prophecies, we are told to test all things and judge the prophetic words of others. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 21, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 through 33. 
because not every supposed prophetic word is actually from the Holy Spirit. Check out what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He wrote there, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We don't just accept whatever someone says because they're supposedly using their spiritual gift of prophecy. No, those things need to be tested, need to be examined, need to be held up to what God's already revealed word says and see if it lines up. Check out what Paul said to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 32 and 33, as he's clarifying the, the gift of uh, the gift of prophecy. He, he wrote there, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. That the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something contrary to the word of God, or, or something that misrepresents God, or something that is chaotic or confusing or that distracts from God. You know, the disciples in the city of Tyre had heard something from the Spirit regarding Paul's journey to Jerusalem, but it seems they inserted their own thoughts or commentary or application in with what the Spirit had said. And all that came out was, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're not supposed to go. It makes me think of, through the centuries, how many people who have felt the call of God for domestic or foreign missions and have shared that call of the Lord, that the Spirit of God's moving in their life. They share it with family members or friends and and because of the care, because of the concern, sometimes what those people have gotten in return, that the advice or the counsel of, of even godly people has been, I don't think that the Spirit's doing that with you. I don't think the Spirit would lead you in that way because there's, because there's this concern. They want to keep them from harm. They want to keep them from, from potential, you know, financial ruin or a situation that could be dangerous but and what comes across is like well i think what the spirit's saying is this but it's self mixed in with the spirit and whenever self is mixed in with the spirit you know what it really is it's not a combination of spirit and and us it's just us it's just us you know, again, I'm sure this came from a place of care, not wanting Paul to be in danger, but thankfully Paul had heard personally from the Spirit of God and was confident in what the Holy Spirit had already spoken and how the Holy Spirit was already directing him. And yet we need to learn even from this situation for our own lives, make sure to not mix in things of self with the things of the Spirit and how we counsel others or discern what the Spirit's saying or, or in what we share. With others. I am very cautious to tell somebody, like, this is what God's saying to you. You know, this the Holy Spirit is saying this. This is God's will for your life in this situation. I'm very cautious to say it. It doesn't mean that the Lord can't use a believer to speak into somebody else's life. 
But I think that also discounts the, the opportunity that God has to speak to the individual themselves between them and the Lord. Sometimes we want to be the voice of the spirit in someone else's life. So we just kind of take that role on. Let me tell you what God wants to do with you. Let me tell you what God wants to do. With you. Let me tell you what business decision. To be. Let me tell you where you should. Be. Let me tell you who should be with. Let me let me tell you these things. But we have to be very careful with that. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. They're just like whatever you say. You say it's from the spirit. It's from the spirit. No, 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 no. You don't lose control. You don't just say whatever you want to say. And it's, and it's, it's the, oh, the Lord just gave me the gift of prophecy there. You have to be very cautious with that. Either something's from the Lord or it's not. And we don't want to be those who are guilty of saying something from, is from the Lord, but it's, it's actually just, we're saying something that's from our own resources. It's just us. But, but I want us to, you know, we're kind of looking at that situation. I want us to revisit this other area of concern and, and uh, you know, warning that we see in verses 10 through 14 that we, we didn't focus on last week also. And so verse 10, it says, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt Belt, uh, sorry, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, the will of the Lord be done. As I said two weeks ago, Paul and Agabus knew each other. We first met Agabus at the end of Acts chapter 11. He had come from Jerusalem to Antioch. He had stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. And now Agabus is sent by the Holy Spirit from Judea to Caesarea with the message for Paul regarding what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. But notice what Agabus said here. He said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And there's two really important things to note here about what Agabus says. First, I want us to notice Agabus is not giving his interpretation or application of the Holy Spirit's message. No, he is quoting the Holy Spirit directly. Thus says the Holy Spirit. He just says what the Holy Spirit had told him to say. Second, though, the second thing for us to notice is that the Holy Spirit through Agabus didn't say, don't go to Jerusalem. He didn't say, you know, so, so is the man who's going to own this belt. So just don't go to Jerusalem. Don't, you don't want this to happen to you. He didn't say that. If anything, this prophetic word is reinforcing that God's will was for Paul to be bound. Because he's saying, this is going to happen. 
It's going to happen to you, Paul. You know, Paul at that point, you just imagine like in a, in a different like alternate reality, like if this is the multiverse moment, like Paul, Paul, you know, Agabus takes Paul's belt and he wraps up his hands in his feet and he goes, so is the man who's going to be bound. And, and so Paul goes and, and, and Agabus goes to give Paul's belt back and Paul's like, no, thanks. And he gives it to his friend. <laughs> well, if it's just the man who owns the belt, like, hey, you own it now. It's yours. Anyways, that's my own thought process. Like I said, alternate. It's, it's not real. It's just I made it up in my head. Let's just move on. Anyways. The Holy Spirit doesn't say don't go to Jerusalem. No, the Holy Spirit just said Paul would be bound. He, by the Jews, he'd be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. This was not a forbidding word. It doesn't say, Paul, I don't want you to go. It was a word of preparation for Paul and his companions that difficult things awaited Paul in Jerusalem. And I think this may have been just as much a needed word for Paul's friends to, to prepare their hearts as it was for Paul himself. Because this was going to be difficult for Paul's companions too, even though it, it was Paul who was going to be bound and delivered and not them. And we see this in how Paul's friends responded with weeping, pleading for Paul to not go to Jerusalem after hearing what Agabus shared from the Holy Spirit. These people loved Paul. They were heartbroken by the thought that Paul would be bound and delivered to the Gentiles. But I don't believe their reaction was motivated by the Spirit. I don't believe their pleading was motivated by the Spirit. No, this was them being very much human, not wanting to lose their friend and brother in Christ who God had used powerfully in their lives. See, Paul's friends had viewed these prophetic messages as... What is happening here? As the Lord trying to prevent Paul from going to Jerusalem, where he was going to be bound and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, instead of seeing that these warnings were the Lord preparing Paul and them for what he was going to face in Jerusalem. But in spite of all the good intentions of these people who loved Paul and wanted to keep him from harm, Paul did not lose his resolve, didn't waver in his confidence that the Lord wanted him to go to Jerusalem, wouldn't be persuaded to abandon what he believed was the Lord's will for his life. So when they saw that they couldn't persuade Paul, they ceased pleading with him and, and gave a final word of entrusting Paul into the Lord's care by saying in verse 14, the will of the Lord be done. You know, it's not uncommon for us as disciples of Jesus to struggle with knowing what the will of the Lord is for our lives. Or having a peace about God's will being done. Or, or understanding how the will of the Lord could mean for us suffering and trials and opposition. It, it can be hard for us at times to reconcile how difficulty and opposition and suffering and persecution and trials can be part of God's will for our lives and for the lives of others. Because we generally want to avoid whatever makes us uncomfortable or disrupts 
our lives or, or causes us pain or suffering or brings us to a place where we have to fully rely on the Lord and his strength and his wisdom. But as disciples of Jesus, we are to live for the will of the Lord and not our own will. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he gave them and us a model, an example of prayer where we would pray for and seek God's kingdom and his will being fulfilled. Check out what Jesus taught in Luke 11, verse 2. It says, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we have to understand that in order for us to genuinely and, and truly pray for God's kingdom to come, our kingdom has to go. Both kingdoms cannot be in place because they are in opposition to each other. Too easily we seek our kingdom. We want to be at the kingdom, be about the kingdom of our lives. We want to build our own little empires. When Jesus is wanting us to be living for his kingdom, longing for his kingdom to come. But not just his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, if we were to be completely honest with ourselves before the Lord, we might ask ourselves, are we really living for our will or are we living for God's will to be done? Do we truly long for the will of God to be carried out in our lives and in the world around us just as his will is perfectly carried out in heaven? What, what drives our lives? What's driving our plans? What's driving our decisions, our dreams, our actions, our thoughts, our words? Is it the will of God, which will always line up with the word of God, or is it our will that drives every aspect of our lives? You know, Jesus didn't just teach this prayer. He lived out this prayer. Not living for his own will, but for the Father's will. Even though that meant having to suffer and to be crucified and, and bear our sins and, and pay our debts and, and take the judgment that we deserve for our sin in order for us to be provided with forgiveness and salvation and justification in the eyes of the Father. Not my will, Father, but yours be done, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was not an easy prayer for Jesus to pray. And yet it was true for his life. You know, Jesus never promised us a life without trouble. But he did promise he would be with us always, even in the troubles, even in the difficulty and suffering and trials of life. That even when facing tribulation and, or troubles, we're to be of good cheer because he, have, he has overcome the world. Paul believed the will of the Lord for his life meant chains and suffering and persecution for him in Jerusalem. And he was willing to submit himself to the Father's will in those things because his life wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. It was about others coming to know Jesus. It was about 
Jesus being glorified. But, but what about for our lives? Who, whose will are we living for? What happens when God's plan, his, his will, conflicts with our plans? When, when God wants to deviate from our five to ten year plan for our life or our family or our, our plan for retirement or what we're going to do for, for our living or what we want to be doing in that span of time or even just our plans right now in the present. What happens when God's will leads us into uncertainty and to a place of dependency where we don't have the answers, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, doors seem to be closed, or maybe even doors are open and we're just like, we don't even know which door to choose. Where we really have to walk by faith. Do we make necessary adjustments? Do we submit to his will? Are we willing to lay down our plans, our our will and surrender at the feet of the Lord? Or do we just sort of further solidify ourselves in what we wanted and then expect God to adjust his plan, his will to fit what we want? Because if we're honest with our, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes it's the latter. Lord, get on board with what I want. Here's what I'd like to see happen, Lord. So can you shift the thing that you're doing so that it lines up with what I'm wanting, what my will, my plan, my goal, my desire is? But oftentimes the Lord's going, but, but I want to do this thing over here. Lord, that, that thing makes me uncomfortable. That thing brings pain and suffering with it. Lord, that thing is is not enjoyable for me. I'd rather be doing this other thing. But something being hard does not mean that it's not the Lord's will. Just as much as something easy doesn't mean that it's not the Lord's will. Because we can flip to both extremes. Well, it's so everything's going so well. I don't know if this is the Lord's will. Everything's just lining up so well, and then we're like, whoa, is Satan doing this? You know, like, we could, we could go all over the place. We can come to all sorts of conclusions in our mind, like, wait, 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 what is happening? Like, everything's going, we're just waiting for this other shoe to drop, right? Like, something's going to go bad because God just really likes to ruin my life at times. But I think in the context of what we're looking at with Paul, I, I think if we look at the difficult parts, the difficult decisions, the difficult paths, whether that's remaining where you are, whether, that's, whether that means a change to something else, that we wouldn't look at difficulty, we wouldn't look at suffering or opposition or trials, and immediately go, well, that can't be God's will. Because in our flesh, we don't like it. We have, to, we have to be able to take a step back 
in those moments and, and ask the Lord, God, give me your perspective on this thing. Because I don't like it. I don't want to remain in it. I don't want to do this anymore. Or I don't want to do this other thing. I'm, there's a new thing that the Lord might do. And, and Lord, I don't want to do that. That looks really hard. That's going to stretch me. I, that, there's a lot of uncertainty attached to that. So to be able to go, Lord, what do you want? And if it's something difficult, but it's your will, then for us in humility, trusting the Lord, trusting his infinite wisdom, trusting his goodness, even in the difficult things, to be able to go, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Paul's friends saying the will of the Lord be done. This wasn't a flippant thing. Will of the Lord be done. It's all good. We don't really care, Paul, that you get arrested and you're going to be, you might die. Will the Lord be done? This was like, this was a heavy moment. They were just weeping and pleading with Paul. But this was a moment of end trusting Paul. And you and I have those moments in our lives where we have to entrust ourselves over and over. We have to entrust our circumstances over and over to the Lord. We have to entrust the lives of other people who we are Maybe sometimes we witness the lives of others and they're making really bad decisions. Or, or they're in a place where they're seeking to follow the Lord and, and, it's, and we want to keep them from something that's hard, but to be able to go, the will of the Lord be done. Because Lord, what we really want is for you to have your way. And, and you know what? We can wrestle inwardly with the Lord on some of these things. And in prayer, try, like, Lord, I just don't get it. I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know why you're allowing this, or I don't know what this is supposed to be for my life. It's, it's good to pray through those things and to wrestle through those things with the Lord. But understand this. If you're wrestling with the will of the Lord in a situation, and you are the one who wins, you're the actually, actually the one who who loses. Getting our will accomplished is not the win. It's not the win. I mean, we can be satisfied in the moment. Oh, I got to do what I wanted to do. I did the thing that I want. And, and, but there's this check the whole time. You kind of knew it wasn't really the right thing to do, but you did it anyways. If you're the one who wins when you're wrestling with the Lord... That's not the place of victory. That's not victory for you. Because when we're walking in our will, God's not going to bless us in our defiance. He's not going to bless us in our rebellion. He's not going to bless us in that place where we're living in our flesh. We're letting our flesh drive us in things. We've got to learn and sometimes it's a continual learning process. Sometimes the Lord has to keep teaching us this over and over again to, to have open hands with our lives and our will and our plans and our goals and our present and our future. We have to learn how to submit our lives and our will and our plans and our goals and our present and our future to the Lord. Not that it's wrong for us to have plans and goals and desires. 
but to be able to genuinely and honestly say before the Lord with all of those things, Lord, your, your will be done. And then walk in whatever it is his will is. You know, as we consider this aspect of the will of God, you know, we see a couple situations here where it seemed like maybe it wasn't the Lord's will, but again, there was this human factor involved. But when we think about God's will, especially when it comes to difficult sorts of things, it won't necessarily look how we think it should. You know, we get this ideal built up in our minds of what we think things are supposed to look like, how things are supposed to go. And sometimes, I think for some of us, we've come to a point in our lives where it's like, we make plans so that God can change our plans. <laughs> you know, like, for some of us, that might be our take. Like, at this point, maybe for however long we've been like, like cool, I make plans, it's fine. It's not wrong to make plans. You know, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. It's not wrong to make plans. But sometimes we make plans and God's like, cool, let's do it a little bit different. Have something a little bit different in mind. You're like, okay, okay, I don't like this. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that that way, Lord. I wouldn't have chosen that. I, wouldn't have, I would have done things differently if I were you. I mean, if we're honest, like we, that's kind of... That's kind of the, t the, the thing. It, it's not necessarily going to look the way that we think it should. God's will may involve difficulty and suffering and opposition and trials. Peter talks about that, how it's the will of the Lord for us to suffer, to entrust our hands, uh, trust our lives to a faithful creator. Like, that might be God's will. That, there might be something in there where that's, that's part of what God's desiring to work in. Our, or maybe he's using these things he's allowed to happen in our lives for his will and purposes. But his will is always his best. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to work out the way that we think it's going to. That doesn't mean everything's going to end well, even. But his will is always his best. It's always his best. And he, he wants to accomplish his will and, and empower us to live out his will by his grace and the power of his spirit that our lives would be all about Jesus, all about his gospel, all about his kingdom, all for his glory. Guys, we can live for ourselves but what are we going to have? When we stand before the Lord one day, what are we going to have to show? Lord, here's all the stuff that I did for me. Here's all the stuff I did for you, but actually I kind of did it for me. I said it was for you, but some of it was actually for me. You know, there's going to be a moment where we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all this, all the wood, hay, and stubble, all the stuff of the flesh. All the stuff that wasn't of the Lord, all that stuff is going to just burn in the sight of the Lord. But the stuff that remains 
is those things that were truly a work of the Spirit of God in and through our lives. Where the will of God was really being accomplished in our lives. And don't we want to be able to bring something to the Lord that He will accept? You know, our, our world is obsessed with legacy, leaving a mark, monuments and plaques and buildings and people's names and we want to we want to leave something that's going to make some sort of impact even within the church culture you know there's a there's a there's there's this prominent sort of phrase of be a world changer but how do we actually leave a legacy how do we actually make an impact it's not the things that are going to last are not going to be our will it's going to be those things where we are living for the will of the lord it was those things where we are living for jesus we are where we are seeking to point others to jesus we are seeking to bring glory to jesus and, and it may not look like the legacy that the world is thinking. But one day when we stand before the Lord, we're not looking for him to go, what kind of legacy did you leave? We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Just be faithful with what God's doing, what he's putting in front of you, what he's calling you to. Those things that you, that you know are his will for your life, even if other people dissuade you from it. They could be well-intentioned people. They could care about you. But if the Spirit of God is overwhelmingly and clearly leading you in something, you have to be obedient to the voice of the Lord over the voice of people. Every single time. Even if it looks ridiculous in the eyes of other people. Live for his will. I, I, I pray over the last few studies we've been able, we're just, again, these are sort of some tools to, to, to help equip us to navigate this life and, and discern what the will of the Lord is and, and be able to then walk in those things that are his will. But, but even again, as we consider the life of Paul, to, to not immediately look at the difficult, the, the hard things and go, that can't be him. But to know that even in the difficult, the Lord is working. He's there. He's present. He's with us. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. And he wants to do something in our lives and through our lives through those things. I'm going to have Julian come back up. As I shared last uh, Sunday, you know, the, the first thing about God's general will is that all would be saved all would be saved it's not his will that any would perish but that all would come to repentance and so if that's anybody today and you're you know what the, that that first aspect of you know what what's god's will for your life well his will is that you wouldn't perish eternally apart from him <laughs> but that you would receive jesus's free gift of salvation it's by grace through faith in what he did so I want to give that opportunity this morning and, and just even to, to respond uh, once again to this 
desire to know God's will maybe for some of our lives. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we're thankful, God, for his, uh, his courage, Lord, his boldness to continue in your will, even when it was going to lead him into some really hard things. Lord, that he just kept making his life about you, Jesus. Lord, it's challenging. It's a challenge to us. Because, Lord, it can be so easy to just resort to living for us. We live for you in certain things, but we live for ourselves in other things. Lord, but to truly be, be living lives that are fully surrendered to the lordship and the will of Jesus Christ. That, that's a hard thing sometimes. But Lord, we desire that. Lord, as those who have been saved by the grace of Jesus, we want your will to be done, not, not ours. And so, Lord, those areas, God, where we have prioritized our will over yours, Lord, those areas where we've chosen our will over yours. God, would you bring correction? Lord, bring needed conviction. Lord, bring needed encouragement that we would course adjust. Lord, that things would become different in our lives. God, that we would begin to hold our will our lives, our plans with open hands before you. God, that you would be able to lead us and direct us in whatever it is that you have. And that, Lord, we would be able to do that confidently with the peace of the Lord in our hearts. God, lead us Lead us as we seek to live for you, glorify you, make our lives about you. God, empower us by your spirit, Lord. We, we need your strength. We need your power. We need your grace to do these things. Lord, they don't come naturally. They're not easy. So God, give us the grace to, to entrust our lives, to entrust the lives of others into the hands of a faithful creator. And look, if you've joined us today and you never first just surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, you've never received his forgiveness, his Salvation, I'd I love to give you that opportunity today. If that's anybody here, if you would just stand where you're at, I would love to pray for you. And you would say, that's me. I, I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that my, my debt has been paid. Maybe for some today you're going, look, like actually I'm, I'm more in the camp of like, I've been doing my will. <laughs> I've been living for, for, for what I've wanted. And today you, you sense the Lord just saying, look, like something's got to change. Maybe you would stand where you're at if that's you so I could pray for you this morning. 
If there's anybody where you're going, look, like I, 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 I want the Lord's will, but it's been hard. And I've been, been choosing me at times. Yeah. Lord, I pray for these that have stood this morning. Lord, I thank you for their humility to stand. God, you know what's going on in their lives. Lord, you know those areas even that you're pointing out, Lord. Where maybe they've been the ones calling the shots, Lord. Or maybe they've drifted into areas of just choosing convenience, maybe. Or, or what's uh, just what seems like the right way. Instead of choosing your way, Lord. God, would you, Lord, be at work in those areas of their life? Lord God, would you give them the, the power of your spirit and the grace, Lord, to, to do things differently, to, Lord, to be able to be in that place of complete surrender to you, Lord, holding everything open to you. Where truly, Lord, your will is being done in their lives, God, not theirs. And so, Lord, would you be working in their lives, be working in their circumstances, God, encourage them today, strengthen them today, give them hope today for what's going on in the present, Lord, for their future. Lord, that they would be reminded today, Lord, that you are with them and that, God, truly your will is your best for them. And so, God, would they rest in that today, Lord, bless them. Lord, pour out your spirit upon them. And, Lord, as we respond now to your word with songs of praise, Lord, with the taking of communion, Lord, with the giving of our tithes and offerings, Lord, in our time of fellowship, Lord, in every bit of our, the rest of our time of gathering this morning, Lord Jesus, would you be at the center of it? Lord, would you be honored and glorified and magnified through it? Lord, we continue, Lord, to worship you now. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for you in Jesus' name. Amen.